Good morning, Fellowship family. It's great to have you here. Um, we are continuing in the book of Acts as we look at this mission made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. We looked at that last week, and this week we're looking at how did the Holy Spirit do this in the lives? What did that look like? And there's one word I want you to remember, and it's a word that's referenced throughout the book of Acts, and it's a, a word that we're going to come back to over and over and again in this message, and that is the word boldness. They advanced the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the end of the earth through boldness. And they prayed boldly. You're going to see the church pray for boldness from God. And and here's the verse I'm going to be calling out later on in my message. It's Acts 4.29. They prayed this to God saying, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And it was boldness that the New Testament church grabbed the gospel of Jesus Christ and they literally took it to transform this geography. That was the Roman Empire in their generation. And I really believe that same spirit that was alive at work in Jesus, that is alive and at work in the early church, is alive and at work in us. And we can, in our generation, if we follow the call of Jesus, we can be witnesses to the end of the earth. But we are going to need to be bold. Many of us don't like that word bold. We kind of mock the people who put their foot forward and put their foot in their mouth with boldness. But uh, really, we are called to it. And many of us are bold in certain areas now, but they may not be the most important areas that we could be bold I was at a very bold environment, a KU basketball game a few weeks back. They were playing Oklahoma. Remember the game? Triple overtime. I happened to go to the best game of the year, my first game of the year. And so they're calling up and they've got this decibel reader and you're seeing it go over a hundred decibels as they're introducing things and the music is going and the crowd is just, I mean, it is amped up. And all of a sudden they introduced the players and they whispered their names. No, they didn't. They shouted at Barry Ellis. You do that. You shout, you're bold when your team's ranked number one. Now your football team, that you may whisper when the KU football team comes out, but not their basketball team. They are ready and they're ready to rock. So we're already bold in key areas. I'm a bold Packer fan. I'm a humbled Packer fan, but I'm a bold Packer fan. I My dream was dashed when the Chiefs were defeated by the villainous, murderous Patriots yesterday and the Packers were defeated by... Whatever team beat them. It was Arizona, I think. Well, the, the question is, is are we bold with the things that last forever? Because we have a God who really wants his children to be bold. He wants us to really change our generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see the gospel as it goes out and moves out. We're going to see a miracle today. And then we're going to see resistance And we're going to ask the question, how did it continue even after that resistance? The answer is bold. So if you have your notes, take them out. If you have a Bible, take it out and turn it to Acts chapter 3, where we continue in this passage. Peter and John. 
They're going to the temple. Acts 3 verse 1 introduces it. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which in our time frame would probably be around three in the afternoon. And a man came, a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Why rise up and walk? And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up. He stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. I want to talk to you about these key values. Before I do, let me just show you this place. In the Israeli Museum in Jerusalem today is a reconstruction of the city of Jerusalem. It's this picture right here. And uh, by the way, it's uh, it's like this model that's outside under the elements. And you can actually walk around this. And I didn't put people in there because it would probably look more like Godzilla's visiting Jerusalem. But it's kind of their, their size. But here is the Temple Mount. And Peter and John were going through that gate, which is identified as the beautiful gate. Inside there is Solomon's portico. You can see those little pillars inside that wall there. And that's where much of this, uh, much of these events that were talked about uh, occurred. But here's the deal. They were, first of all, bold with compassion. They were going from their place to the temple to pray. And uh, they saw a man there who was begging, begging for money. And you have Peter who looks to him and says, look at me. And the guy expects them to throw a coin or something to him. But they say, I have I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Think about this. They were going from point A to point B. And what God wanted to do was along the way. For those of us who are driven, for those of us who pursue a very uh, kind of marginless schedule, what's happening along the way is a distraction many times. We pray for the Wanamaker Express to bless our car as we go from 35th in Wanamaker down to 10th in Wanamaker before we make the turn here, don't we? Lord, may there not be any red lights. May we keep going. And this person is in the way. And then when we stop and we see someone who might need help, we go around them, right? Because we've got to get to A. God wants me at A. God wants me in church today. Or he might want you helping someone. Yes, the pastor actually said, help someone rather than come to church. But what if someone's along the way? God works in so many ways along the way. And if we're not bold with compassion, we will miss it. If we're not bold with compassion, we'll have many excuses, many excuses why to stay disengaged from the needs of this world. 
I, I would say most of the significant things that have happened in my life have happened along the way, have happened outside of my plan, but very much inside of God's plan. So we need to be bold with compassion. The church is called to do that, to look to the needs. How will people see that God is good if you are not good to them? And what happened? This guy received. He received something even greater than he asked for. In Acts 3.8, it says he leapt up and he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I grew up in the church and there was a little Sunday school song all about that. Some of you Sunday school teachers know what I'm talking about. But but he's just praising the Lord and he's completely restored. I love how Dr. Luke kind of gives the description there that is he was given his ankles and his feet where he stood up and he could what he had never been able to do, what perhaps had been a disappointment to his parents throughout his whole life. Here's a grown man over 40 years of age, continually dependent on people around him. Now he's completely dependent on the power of God and independently walking. This is awesome. And it's all because someone was bold with compassion. Why do we need to be bold with compassion? Because there's people all around us who need healing. There's people around us who have lost things, lost people precious to them. There's people around us who are broken. There's people around us who are hurting. And and we are the church. It's not just what happens in these walls. It's what happens outside these walls. How are they, they aren't they're walking here to see Jesus. They're living out there and we're called to go to them. Be bold with compassion. You're going to see a bunch of compassionate acts throughout the book of Acts. It's their acts of compassion that God used to do something even greater. And that's the second thing they were bold with. They were bold with Jesus. Let's keep reading. Verse 11, it says this. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel. Why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Look at how bold he gets here now. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over. He's getting bold here and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied getting more bold, the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. 15 is even bolder. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that it's through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. How bold were they? Yeah, look at that. They presented it and they kind of even pointed the finger at them and said, look, you're the reason Jesus was handed over to you. You you gave up a murderer. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead and they went on. He says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as well, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And look at this call. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord 
and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Let's just pause there. Man, they they realized that a good work, a bold act needed bold words with it. And I've, I've seen that. It's not just that we go out of this place and do good things for people. It's not that we just get as many Christians as we can to stand next to people. Because we might think that that the gospel moves from one life to another through osmosis. It doesn't rub off. It's revealed through your words. And the good works of the gospel should always be paired with the good news of the gospel. And that's what the early church did. They didn't just do good things. They proclaimed the good news. And what did they proclaim? This Jesus, you sent him to his death, but God raised him from the dead. You acted in ignorance, but this was all part of God's plan of wisdom and sovereignty to give us Jesus. Now, repent, which literally means change your mind about Jesus. Turn your mind. Turn from your works to trust the completed work of Jesus for you. Turn from your way to follow Jesus his way. And that's what repentance is. And when you come to Christ, you do that. You change your mind about Jesus. You trust him rather than trying to impress him. And you you believe in his completed work for you. And as a result, it says that your sins may be blotted out. There's forgiveness of sins in Jesus. But it's not just forgiveness of sin. It says times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That, that same Holy Spirit that gave Peter boldness to speak also can live and reside in you and refresh your life with the life of Jesus. But also a looking forward that to the sending of Christ for his second return. And we look forward to that as a church. And so the blessing of the gospel is forgiveness of sins, life walking in the spirit and a future with Christ and a looking forward with anticipation. I look forward to the return of Christ when Christ returns and restores all things as the passage then continues to develop. There will be no longer four degree mornings. (laughs) There will be no more death or sorrow. There will be no more pain. There will be there no more injustices in this world. No more brokenness will be wholly restored to God through Jesus. I'm looking forward to that day. And that's the hope of the gospel that we have through Jesus. And they were bold with it. Why do we need to be bold with Jesus? Because people need salvation. Simple truth. People are dying. People are headed to hell without Jesus. And so, therefore, we're called to be the church, to shine the light in the truth of Jesus clearly and boldly, lovingly through compassion, but also specifically through our words. So then what happens? What happens? Let's keep reading. And I want you to turn to Acts chapter four, verse one says this as they were speaking to the people. The priest and the captain of the guard and the Sadducees, if Star Wars were making this movie, we would hear bum, 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 These are the villainous people in the story. They rejected Jesus. Remember that Jesus appeared before these very people was tried and condemned, sentenced to death. 
And they were greatly annoyed, verse 2 says, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Sadducees were the political power of the day. They were aligned with Rome. They thought their Messiah had always already come. They weren't looking for a Messiah, and they rejected the resurrection from the dead. They were a social movement, and they didn't like anyone teaching the resurrection of the dead, let alone Jesus. The Pharisees were on the other side. They hated Rome. They wanted their kingdom to come, and it was a kingdom of works in the kingdom of a law, not of grace like Jesus. And so here they go. And they arrested them, put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. I love how Luke includes this last one in verse four. He says, but many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about five thousand. Think about this. We've only three chapters or four chapters in. And the church started with 120. Pentecost happened. They now have 3,000. And now this miracle happens. The gospel's boldly proclaimed. People come to Christ. 5,000 men alone, not to mention women or children. I mean, the gospel's multiplying. And all of a sudden, there's resistance. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Who's going to speak boldly when resisted? And Who's going to speak to this intimidating group of 71 leaders called the high court or the Sanhedrin of of uh, in Jerusalem at the temple? And they were even arranged when they appeared before them in that morning. They arranged, tiered and peering over you. And here you have Peter. See, Peter was bold when resisted. And he boldly proclaimed Jesus in a in an environment of resistance. Now, think about this. Luke kind of puts this out there. Kind of says, who else was arrested and tried? Jesus was. Where were the disciples when Jesus was re- arrested? They scattered. They scattered. They ran for their lives. Who was the one that's identified as being perhaps the one who denied Jesus? Not just once, not just tr- twice, but three times a denier. It's Peter. Yet you have Peter after the resurrection in the power of the Holy Spirit speaking boldly to them. Look at what he says when they ask the question, by what power? Verse five there, or excuse me, seven. And or by what name did you do this? Then verse eight, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, By what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And look at how bold this one is. And... There is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I even believe today that's one of the strongest, boldest statements about Jesus to a very contemporary, contemporary pluralistic culture that we live in that believes there's many ways to God. You just have to be sincere. And yet in a culture of resistance, Peter teaches us how to speak boldly. There is salvation in no other name. There's no other name under heaven given to us by which we must be saved. That name is Jesus. 
He was bold when resisted. Same guy who denied Jesus. And the power of the Spirit speaks with boldness. And then he even gives a call. They say, stop it. We don't want you to speak anymore. And we're warning you. Here's our warning. Go. Never speak in Jesus' name again. And they both boldly conscientiously object. Look at this. They say, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. It's a double negative. It literally means a positive. In other words, we're going to speak. You can't shut us down. You can't silence us. See, the world wants to silence the gospel. The world wants to silence the name of Jesus. Jesus outside these walls is probably used more as a curse than to give glory to God. And that's, uh, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. And so the question is, is when you're resisted, how do you stand for Jesus? How do you share that? I know we have many pictures that kind of intimidate us of people on the street corner yelling out the name of Jesus or confronting people or... But you know what? The, the scriptures give us a lot of guidance here, especially when we're opposed, especially when we're resisted. I think about that one passage in Second uh, Timothy 2.25, where Paul teaches church leaders how to stand when they're corrected or resisted. He says that, we're, that they're to correct their opponents with gentleness. And, and God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and they may come to the sen- their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Do you see even the larger picture going on here? It's more than just a few people resisting. It's an actual kingdom of darkness that wants to silence the gospel of Jesus Christ. God loves you. Satan hates you. Satan will use you as a tool against God. Satan would want to silence your ears. He'd want to blind your eyes to the glory and the greatness of Jesus and the gospel. I know this is a bold statement for you, but it's reality. The scriptures show it as reality. And when you're resisted, you're called with gentleness, with humility, but with boldness to proclaim Jesus. Many places resist the gospel. You're going to see it just explode next week when we talk about persecution. And we're going to see how the gospel continued to move forward, even in the most persecuted. What we wanted, what man wanted to just squash, the gospel just exponentially explodes. Because we're bold when resisted. But they were not just bold when resisted. They were released and they were bold in prayer. They gathered with that community called Koinonia, that fellowship of believers, and they gathered together and they prayed. And here we come back to that verse 29, what we started the message out with. And they prayed and they said, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Then verse 31 says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Why be bold in prayer? Because God loves to answer that prayer. And when they did, he did. 
They called for it and he gave that to him. He's a loving heavenly father who loves to give good things to his children. God loves to answer bold prayers. So it just kind of begs the question, what are you praying for boldly? We tend to ask for things that cover us for a day rather than that could transform us for eternity. And Luke even kind of brings this out as he's sharing this narration. Think with me. Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray. Praying is seeking the Lord. Praying is asking of the Lord. But on the way, they come across a guy. He's seeking money. He's requesting money. Does he get money? Money would have covered him for a day. But what does he get? He gets the ability to walk for a lifetime. But even beyond that, he gets a relationship with God because even Peter and John said this man believed. He believed in Jesus of Nazareth and was healed and was restored even to faith in Christ. Do you see this? God has far more to offer us than even sometimes we're asking. So what does this tell us? Be bold. Be bold with your prayers. What are you boldly seeking of God? God, give me that degree. God, give me that raise. Really? There's a greater thing. There's a greater thing than a position or a raise. What are we praying for God that he's willing to to answer? You know what? This is one of those areas that when we pray for boldness, God gives us more. And it's not going to come from just you. You're not going to drum up boldness. This is something that Peter even did with the power of the Holy Spirit. So ask for boldness. Be bold in prayer. That's why we, as leadership, pray for 18,000 people to be awakened to the person and the work of Jesus Christ in this Topeka area. We want to be used in our generation to boldly proclaim the gospel And we seek God of of it. And you know what? If that were to happen, there's no way we could go, boy, it was this ministry model that did it. It was this person who did it. We would just go, it was Jesus who did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray so that you can't take the credit when God answers it. Pray boldly. I would say that most of us pray for too small of things. And you have a heavenly father who wants to give you far more than a few coins What we're asking, pray, pray boldly. It advanced the gospel to the end of the earth. And then they also were bold in love. I like this because in verse 23, it says the first thing they did when they were released is they went to their friends. Think about this. Where was where were they when Jesus, their friend, was arrested? They scattered. Where do they go? Into isolation. But yet here you have a new community empowered by the Holy Spirit who comes together. They join together and love each other deeply. Not only did they pray, but look at this mirror of even what the spirit did with them in Acts chapter two that we talked about last week. It says this. And the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. There's that word common again, which literally means koinonia, the fellowship again. They joined. They had a common belief in God and common belief in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Common sharing of the power of the Holy Spirit and a common love for each other. They were bold in that love for each other, knowing that even associating with Peter and John might be a sentence for their own lives. 
Why do we need to be bold in love? Frankly, we all need fellowship. We all need to be known. We all need to be loved. And this new community, we're seeing some really cool observations here of the spirit. What the spirit is joining together, guess what's happening? Love is deepening. We're seeing even at Pentecost that it's not just a cookie cutter person that God is interested. It's to all the nations. It's not just the rich. It's not just the poor. It's not just those who are healthy. It's those who are sick. God brings everyone mentally or physically challenged into the call of the gospel. He includes all of us. And he wants to build love in all of us. You want to be bold in love? Love people who are not like you, who come from a different environment than you, who see the world differently than you, who might be able to shape and sharpen you in your love for Jesus. You want to not be bold in love? Love people just like you. Love people who think like you, who have the same perspective like you, who agree with you on everything. And guess what you're doing? You're loving yourself because you want just more people like you in your life. That's a shallow love. That's a love that's like a veneer. You want to love? Love boldly. You're going to get into small groups. Some of you just started small groups. And you're going to, the first few nights are going really good. Whoa, we're really bonding. This is great. And all of a sudden you realize that marriage isn't going well. Honey, we're out. I came to this small group so I could learn the Bible and I could be this wonderful Christian and I don't want to have to bear the burden of a... I mean, did you see the words she said to him while we were in God's word? Certainly, we can't be a part of this. No, we tend to pull away when people are different than us, when people aren't as mature as we think we are. And yet we're called to be bold in love. A deep love goes to places you wouldn't and continues to love. A deep love stays rather than flees when there's problems. God's love deepens as far as you're willing to be available available for it, as far as you're willing to be bold with it. You need that fellowship in your life. I don't know about you. I need my love to deepen beyond myself. And every time I follow Jesus, every time the spirit leads me into a deeper love, it's usually around different people. It's usually through conflict rather than great acceptance and and the boldness of 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 loving when things get difficult. Show me a greater picture of God's love. And then they were bold in authenticity. The story continues. Luke is crafting this picture of this new community and he starts identifying people. One of them was Joseph. I like that name. Uh, but it, he's also called, though, he was renamed by the apostles as Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Here's a guy's life who actually transcends his name, which Joseph means he shall add. But Barnabas means son of encouragement. He was living in such a way that transcended the name his parents gave him and moved into one that the people of God gave him because he just couldn't get over it. Are we living in a way where we're living that life of integrity and authenticities that that even maybe even before people say our name, they just go loving, authentic, caring, compassionate. But here he was. And he was a Levite, came from a priestly family, a native of Cyprus, which is that island in the Mediterranean Sea. And he sold a field that belonged to him. Now, you don't just do that in ancient world. Field was your identity. Field was family. He probably could say, yeah, my 
great, 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 great. Go right back to the resettlement of the land after the Babylonian captivity with that land. And the family would go, are you kidding me? You're selling your identity. But the new identity of Jesus became greater than his own family. And he sold it. And he took all the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet, which is how they did uh, how they did offerings in that day. Kind of glad we don't do it like that anymore. You know, I stand here, you put your offering at my feet because you trust that I would turn it or, or move it into people who needed it. But here they bought it and they laid it there and and we get that celebration. What a great act of love, of authenticity. Chapter 5 begins with another couple doing the same thing or at least playing the part. Their name, couple, Ananias, him, and Sapphira, the woman. And they also sold a field, but instead of giving all the money, they withheld part of it for themselves. But they portrayed to the whole church that they gave it all. Now, here's the deal. They didn't even have to do that. It was never giving under compulsion, but it was a willing spirit. It was a joyful environment of giving and and they could have said, hey, we sold the field and gave it half. We were giving half. But they they didn't say that. They said, we sold the field, we're giving it all. And maybe everyone's eyebrows went up because the amount they actually gave was so much less than what that field was worth. The apostles said, did you really? Ananias came back in without Sapphira. Ananias' name literally means God is gracious. But he was not living graciously. He was lying. He was deceiving. What would God do? You know, because the other group, like the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were not real. They weren't authentic. They were deceptive. They were using power and position for their means and robbing God of his rightful glory. And they weren't being punished. Would God stand for this in his new community? Boom, they die. Ananias dies. He's struck by God. And everyone goes, like we would do if it happened here. <gasps> a great fear spread among them. So it's classic what Luke says. They covered him up. They carried him out and buried him. His wife named Sapphira. Her name is actually means beautiful. And she was acting pretty ugly here. Because he said, hey, your husband said this is how much the field cost and then gave that. And it's what you sold it for. Was he right in that? And she said, absolutely. Bam, God struck her. I mean, this is a pretty strong. I mean, you're reading the Bible and go, boy, whoa, God is saying, don't mess with me on this stuff. And they haul her out and great fear spread. among. In other words, Fear of respect that God wanted authenticity in his people. He wants when the spotlight's on you, he wants the same person as when you're in the back room. He wants you speaking and acting the same inside these walls as you are outside these walls. And by the way, let these walls determine what happens outside there. Don't bring that into here. But but let's be people who are fluid. They aren't people that's marked by just playing the part. Let's be people who are authentic because here's the deal. The gospel is always compromised by hypocrisy. When you say you're a follower, but you do not follow Jesus, there's a disconnect that someone who doesn't read the Bible can't get. And so that's why we get phrases like, I, I'll never be a Christian. Christians are all hypocrites. Well, yes, there's many ways in which we are not the people we want to be, but we're, we're following someone who's perfect. And we never outgrow our need for him. 
So we never replace the life of Jesus with our own. We never have a day when we don't need Jesus. But we're following someone who's perfect, Jesus. And he's the one that we want to make and call people to follow. Not me, not you. But you're going to find that the gospel's always compromised. The truth and the love of the gospel is always compromised when we're deceptive and when we're selfish. You're going to see that mix the gospel up as it moves. And so as God is saying at this very key moment, this foundational moment, he's saying, the people who you claim to be need to be the people you are. Be bold with being authentic. Now, these six values here of boldness actually changed the world. They changed the world. Christianity changed the world because people were willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be bold in the name of Jesus. And we are too today. See, I still am one of the believers who believes that we are a generation who can literally take the gospel to the end of the earth if we're willing to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit and live boldly. As you looked at these six, you're not going to remember six tomorrow, trust me, because I didn't even remember them all, and I've spoken four messages now. But maybe there's one right now that as the Holy Spirit took his word in, in how the early church responded to the reality of Jesus, there might be one right now that you could circle from your notes and say, right now, I will be bold in that. I'd like to be more bold right here. Maybe it's prayer. You just kind of treated God like he's your servant and he needs to make your life meet the wildest dreams of your life. Or maybe, maybe it's you're just not bold with Jesus. You're bold with your sports team. But basically, people are not catching at all that Jesus has any importance or significance in your life. Maybe you have been more focused on getting from point A to point B that you've just neglected compassion. And you're praying now, God, give me bold eyes for compassion to see people outside of my agenda. Maybe you've been living the double life that your life away from here looks very different. You go, man, I just I really need to be an authentic follower of Jesus. I want to come clean on that. Whatever it is, choose one. And what we're going to do now, just as a a family here now, is we're going to ask God, we're going to pray that Acts 4.29 prayer for boldness in our lives. And we're going to see what God is going to do through us this week as we live boldly for him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray the prayer of the early church. You never change. And until you return, the mission you gave to them, you give to us. We want in our generation what you gave them in theirs. And so we pray that you would grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We ask this in his name. We pray. Amen.